Hear the word of God from a selection of passages proclaiming that God is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Leviticus 6, 4-9 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Isaiah 42, verse 5. This is what, the, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Matthew 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John 15, verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 20, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Colossians 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Galatians 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church, and we just heard a selection of passages. You might be like, some of you might have figured out where we were headed with that. It's the first line of what is called the Apostles' Creed. And in that line, it talks about God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And I just 
chose a selection of passage. Actually, I didn't even have to choose them because I just looked in some of the, uh, the you know, over 1,500 years of church history where they've shown that this is where we get our creed from, that these are some of the passages that build the foundation of that first line of the creed. And we're in a new sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And normally in August, we do some kind of sermon series on who we are as Waypoint, what are some of our values, what are some of our core beliefs. And this year, we decided to do the Apostles' Creed. And it's a historic document, and some of you may be very familiar with it. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition where it was recited every week. Others of you, like myself in my childhood, might have grown up in a tradition where it was never recited. I I first really learned about it in college. So no matter where you are on the scale, the Apostles' Creed is an influential, is the the most influential and foundational uh, document of the early church that shows up throughout the rest of church history, kind of framing many of the questions and and giving us the answers that we need to be believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So as we start this series, I want to get you guys excited. I'm going to be preaching on the history of the Apostles' Creed and the God the Father. Next week, Pastor Eric will actually preach on God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and Lawrence will preach on God the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit be- fills us and we are his church. So looking forward to this. And this morning, I want to start with this. Just a story about my own experience and my childhood and, and, and kind of what I saw and experienced about belief. Like, what do you believe? What is true? Like, what is, what is, what is, what do I believe? And a lot of us are like, this is what I believe, or that's what I believe. And it might be on a topic or something else, but what do we believe about God? What do we believe about the universe? What do we believe about why we're here? And when I was 10, we moved from South Florida to Peachtree City, Georgia. It was a quaint little suburb of Atlanta. And like the triangle is today, Peachtree City was a place where people were moving from all over America to come and have a better life. It had golf carts and bike paths everywhere, and it was literally the perfect little city. And um, so you had all these people just moving there, not just Southern people, but people from everywhere saying, I want to recreate this perfect life. And some of them went to church and some of them didn't. Um, And I made a lot of new friends and I made a best friend. I'll call him Mike. And Mike's family was unique to me because they never went to church. But they still kind of believed in the Christian God. It was the first time I'd ever experienced this. Living in South Florida, either my friends kind of believed it or they didn't. This was, this was my first time to be around a family that was, was in between. They would talk about the things like about God and Christianity that they liked. But then they also used phrases and said stuff like, we all have our own path to God. Um, and... We're not really sure what the truth is. We just have to be a good person and find it. And I I found this fascinating because I grew up in a Christian home where I was taught, you know, that truth is only found in in God and in Jesus Christ. So I'm an inquisitive person. I was a very inquisitive kid. So, you know, I was one of those 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds who like to talk to adults. So I even had conversations with Mike's mom and him and his sister just around the dinner table sometimes when I'd be at their house about their view of faith. And uh, one night, we were in a tent. Back in the 80s, you'd do sleepovers in the tent. I don't know if any of you guys, uh, I don't know if kids still do that, but it was awesome. You get your tent at Sears or Walmart, and you put it in your backyard, and you have a sleepover. 
get flashlights and junk food. And so Mike and I are in the tent and we're talking. It's late night. And we had this one night we had this long conversation. It was probably summer. Um, and basically, what's the meaning of life? He was, I guess, I had, we had stirred up some conversations, maybe some of these that I had with his mom, him and his mom and his sister. And he, he started asking me, and he's like, what is the meaning of life? Is there a creator? Are we just a random accident in the universe? And is there a God? So he was kind of giving me his belief system, and he, he was really like, I don't know. It's like, I, I want to know. And then he asked me what I believed. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think I said something like this. God created the world, and it was good. Humans sinned against God. God sent Jesus to save us, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so that's definitely part of the gospel presentation, which I believe it should be. And then he sent the, the Holy Spirit to be with us until Jesus comes back. And then he asked, well, how do you know this is true? And all I could say was, God said it in the Bible, like God left us his word. And he looked at me and he said, I want to believe that. And we prayed that night in the tent. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Um, this is the first time I'd ever kind of prayed with someone. It really, in my whole childhood, it's the only time I did it. Um, but we prayed and he said, I want to believe in Jesus. And I believe that day he did believe in Jesus. Um, and like Mike, I want to be like Mike. No, I'm just. So I do want to say this in my last sermon. I, I said something about the just do it, um, that it was a Nike phrase. And now my kids reminded me that it's back. Like Nike still uses just do it. So I'm, I'm pretty irrelevant, but I want to be like Mike, like my friend Mike. And I look at Mike's family, and I think many Americans are similar to him, that they have this worldview that Mike and his family had. Even some who attend church, their belief system is a collection of multiple thoughts and ideas that they have gathered over the years. Some Christian, some kind of American, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Um, some are a little more mystical. Maybe each person has to create their own path. Everyone has their own path. But basically, each person is able to create their own religion in their head. That's kind of one thing I started experiencing as I was growing up in America is, is people were creating this belief system in their head. And even people who went to church had a series of random beliefs that weren't really rooted in the Bible, weren't a declaration from their church, but it's kind of what they believed when you really press them. And you don't really have to join anything. You just believe that it's true. And, and then there's this self-made proclamation and I see three main problems with this system of religion that people are creating. I mean, the first one is we can barely trust ourselves, right? We, our opinions change. Think about the, your 20-year-old self view of your 15-year-old self. You probably would have a lot of advice for telling your 15-year-old self not to believe this or that. And then your 30-year-old self will tell your 20-year-old self all the things you were wrong. So how can we... If we're setting the standard of truth, it's relative to how we feel at the moment. The second problem I see with this idea that I, you know, a lot of my friends and other people I engaged with felt about their belief was that you become like God or God because what you think at the moment, even if it disagrees with what you previously thought, is the truth. You set the standard of truth, which then is weird because if everyone's doing this, then there's 
what is the belief? What is the truth? And the third problem I kind of had with this that I started noticing as a child and into college was that if all this is real, if the world is real, if people are real, if oceans and animals and birds and DNA and the complexities of, of human life, if all this is real, then there has to be a source. There has to be a creator. And wouldn't that creator want to communicate with us? Wouldn't that creator want some kind of relationship with us? Or would the creator just destroy us because of how bad we are toward the creation? So I, I, these are why I started not believing like Mike. And I begin to, as, at 11, 12, 13, even into my late teen years, said, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ. But I hadn't formulated it all. And, um, but I was beginning to think through this basic idea of the gospel. And I think what I presented to Mike that day was similar to what's in the Apostles' Creed. It's a summary of who God is and how he relates to us and what we're supposed to do about it, like where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. And I believe God does communicate with his people through his word, and his word gives us exactly what we need. And I would say that the Apostles' Creed was the early churches wrestling with that and, and coming up with a statement that summarized the teaching of how do we reconcile this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with Jesus. God comes and is with us and dies and rises again, and then the Spirit is sent out and the church is born. How can we sum this up in a statement so that from the person who's illiterate to the person who's highly educated, they all can have this memorized, and, and this can be something that they can cling to. So I'm going to start with a couple questions this morning. I'm really only going to answer two. What is the Apostles' Creed, and why is the Apostles' Creed still important for us today? But in answering what, the, what is the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to answer a series of questions. First of all, what is a creed? Second, why is it called the Apostles' Creed? Did the apostles write it? Third, are there creeds in the Bible? Are there other church creeds out there? Why do we need a creed or multiple creeds? Why a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed? And then what's Waypoint's belief? So let's just start nailing, you know, just start going one by one down these questions. So what is the Apostles' Creed? I remember the first time I ever was in a church where they recited it. In college, my, I made a new friend, and he was Presbyterian, and I grew up in Assembly of God. So I grew up in a very low church, they'd call it tradition, where we didn't do many of the rituals. We basically just did Easter. That was probably the only... And communion and baptism. Those were the only rituals that we really did. We didn't recite anything. Um, and I, I know a lot of people grew up in that tradition. And I remember in college, me and my buddy were like, let's try a lot of different churches. So we basically looked in the phone book. And this is, I started college right at the brink of the internet. Literally, like MindSpring and these other things were coming out for those of you old timers. You know, people, AOL was just coming out you know, dial up. So it wasn't like you could just go online and find a church's website. So I look, we look in the phone book and we're like, we want to pick one church from every denomination. Now he's Presbyterian, I'm Assembly of God, but somehow the, one of the first churches we went to is a Methodist church. And we get there and for some reason they stand up and recite stuff. And I didn't grab a bulletin on the way in because I missed it. And my friend knows what to say. He knew the Lord's Prayer. He knew the Apostles' Creed. He knew the doxology. I didn't. So I'm standing up there, and I'm like, wait, I thought you were Presbyterian. This is a Methodist church. How do you know what to say? And he's reciting the Apostles' Creed with everyone else. And I'm like, I didn't want to, you know, I'm just like, banana, 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 whatever. 
So I didn't want to feel embarrassed, and I wanted, didn't want my friend to think I wasn't a good Christian or whatever, because I'd been to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night my whole life, and I had no idea what this Apostles' Creed was. And then I heard it, and then I went home, and I took the bulletin, and I read it, and I was like, wow, this is fascinating. So let me read it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again. I believe, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Wow, what a powerful statement. I'm glad people memorize it. Now I have friends who grew up in traditions where they memorize it every week and it became boring and wrote and they forgot. I'm coming into this as a kid who'd never heard it before. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You get to say this every week. I'm kind of a lazy person, so the, the few things I can memorize are awesome for me. Like, I'm glad I had to memorize the 23rd Psalm for like an Awana-type program when I was a child, because it's still memorized. Most of my Bible memory is, par- is paraphrased. The joke Lawrence and I often bring up, he bring, we bring it up separately, but we have all these 80s and 90s rap songs memorized that some of them are pretty trashy, but and all this random 80s pop songs memorized, but I have very little scripture memorized. So, so I loved this when I found out that this was something, a summary of what we believe. So to continue on, I just want to say, start with this idea. So what is a creed? So the Church of England, uh, in their Book of Common Prayer, which is about 500 years old, I actually have a copy here, st- says this statement. What are the creeds? And it says, the creeds are a statement of our basic beliefs about God. And then it says, what is the Apostles' Creed? It says, the Apostles' Creed is the ancient creed of baptism. It is used in the church's daily worship to recall our baptismal covenant. So, what is a creed? It's, it's a declaration. And what, is, what makes the Apostles' Creed unique is uh, Pastor Tim Keller says this, and I, I love this. He says, the Apostles' Creed was the earliest church's version of what today is sometimes called the sinner's prayer. It's not only done in the, it's, but it's not done in the form of a prayer. It's done in the form of a confession. If you wanted to be baptized, if you wanted to take the Lord's Supper, they would say, do you believe? And then you would say, yes, I believe. And this was the summary. And it was developed by the most, the earliest church. So basically, as a baptismal candidate in the second and third century in the church, if you went to get baptized, they would ask you three questions. They would say, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? And then you'd say, I believe. Then they would say, the person administering the baptism with you would say, do you believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior? And you would say, I believe. And then they would say, do you believe in the Holy Spirit, a holy church, and the forgiveness of sins? And you'd say, I believe. And then the, you'd say, the pastor would baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Apostles' Creed comes out of that. And when we think about this idea of a creed and, and language and why do we need this creed, uh, Keller, Tim Keller, in his sermon on the Apostles' Creed, gives this really cool cloud analogy. 
So I want to, I'm going to go back to this at the, a little later in the sermon, but I want us to think about this analogy. So when you, when you think about clouds, so this is like, we have some people cheering, the science nerds. So when I just, if you just found a random person in the world who didn't study science, and you just said, what kind of cloud is that? They'd say, oh, that's a big, white, fluffy one, or that's a skinny one, or that's a thin one, or that's this one. They'd say, that's a dark one, that's a light one, that's a low one, that's a high one. There's different words to describe clouds, but meteorologists have a language to help them be meteorologists. And we as Christians need a language to describe God. So I thought this analogy was helpful, that you can look at the clouds and get a general grasp, but eventually as you dig deeper, you've got to kind of know what clouds are what, especially if you really want to know what clouds mean. If you want to study weather, you need to know a little bit more of clouds. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, yes, the minimum you need to know is, is who Jesus is. But we learn who God is in Trinity, and the Apostles' Creed helps us that. It gives us language for that. So why is it called the Apostles' Creed? Did the, did the apostles write it? And they did not write it, but it's called that because it was this early baptismal confession statement, like I mentioned earlier. And somewhere between the 2nd and the 6th the century, it just became the shortest, condensest declaration. There's another creed called the Nicene Creed that actually um, was a little more detailed. It follows a similar pattern. But the Apostles' Creed was just a summary of the core teachings that we needed as a Christian to understand God, understand Jesus, understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and what it meant to be in his church. Um, are, there other, are there creeds in the Bible? And the answer is yes. In Deuteronomy 4, I mean Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In Romans 10, 9, some people say this is the core confession of faith. Paul says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So these are kind of confessions that are in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But then there's a really fascinating one in 1 Timothy 3.16. And most Bible scholars think this is actually an early confession of the church. It says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven and glory. So you see this creedal formation was already there in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Are there other church creeds? Yes. Um, and just to go back, I just want to give a quick definition of a creed to make sure we're on the same page. It's just a formal statement of Christian beliefs, especially the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. So just, if, you only, if you're losing me on all the history, just remember this. The Apostles' Creed is the simple summary that we can say in church. It's easy to memorize. The Nicene Creed is a little more detailed. And then there's two more creeds that come after it. And all these creeds are doing is fleshing out, how does the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob relate to Jesus Christ, the God who incarnate, who comes, and all the things that Jesus does, and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So this, we have these creeds, and why it's called a creed, this is pretty cool, I'm going to put up the Latin, is in Latin it says, Credo in Deum Patrum Omnipotem, something like that, I'm, I'm not a Latin scholar, I should be, because I have some Italian, I have my Italian roots, but Credo means I believe in Latin, 
So if you look at it, it's basically, I believe, and Deum is God, and then Paterm is, is, is Father. Uh, it's, and then you see the word where we get omnipotent or almighty, all-powerful. So from the ancient church, there's four great ecumenical confessions. Ecumenical just means agreed upon by all the churches. There's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasius Creed, and the Chancellor's Creed. And the Protestant churches since the Reformation have come up with many, many more confessions. So what's a confession? So there's a creed, which is just a statement. Then there's a confession, which is a statement setting out essential religious documents. So a statement, a confession is normally a longer statement. And throughout Protestant history, there's many of these confessions as Protestants started branching off. You have Presbyterian confessions, Baptist confessions, uh, Methodist confessions, Church of England confessions. Um, And a catechism, this is pretty cool, is a summary of the principles of Christian religion in the form of question and answers used for the instruction of Christians. Luther had one. There were many throughout history. And even today, the Baptist faith and message, which is what our church is is under, which has been revised three different times, is, is, is in this format of a confession. And it starts off with the scriptures, and then it talks about God, and then it says, God the Father... 20 Bible references, God the Son, 20 Bible references, God the Holy Spirit, 20 Bible references. You see how the formula that was came up from the Apostles' Creed is still with us today, and we still have these confessions. All right, so this is getting a little history-ish, a little boring. I'm going to move on. Uh, why do we need a creed or multiple creeds? And uh, for those of you who grew up Baptist or non-denominational, you might be like, I don't know any of this, like, but the, the creeds affected you. They, they were part of who you are, and I'm not going to read the whole quote, but there's this fascinating quote by John Piper, and he wrote a, someone asked him one day, should we even believe the creeds? We're Baptists. Because when I was growing up, Baptists would say, this is even 30 years ago, no creed but the Bible. Non-denomination people would say, no creed but the Bible. And, and I use Piper as an example, because the other traditions believe that there should be creeds, but... Uh, Piper as a Baptist and some of the other non-denominational guys are like, no, we need a creed. We actually have creeds. The Apostles' Creed influences all that we do, but maybe we just don't use it every week. We don't recite it in the service, but it influences all that we are. But without these confessional creeds, everything's just a mess. And we need these things to unite us. We need statements of faith that unite us as, as God's people. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Why a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed? Basically, we need to know the foundational confession of the early church that all the other foundational confessions are built on. And it's important to know this history. I know some of you are like, this is boring, but it's important to know this because later on we're going to talk about Trinity. Well, how do we know, how did we come to figure out what Trinity is? How God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one? Because of these creeds, because of those who have gone before us and and those who have trusted God and poured over his word and the spirit led them to come up with these statements to help us define, to define our faith. And then next, I just put, what is Waypoint's belief? And I'm not going to go into detail. You can find it on the web, website. But if you look on the website, it's kind of like, what's the point? And that's also the name of our podcast. So we probably need to change the section. But, you know, what's the point? And we're a preview of the coming kingdom and we're here to advance the kingdom of God on earth. Now, where do we get that language? We get it from scripture, but we also get it from the Christian tradition that tells us this is why the church exists. And then we have our vision, we have our mission, we have our values, and then we have nine historic beliefs. That we, These are just the core teachings, and these would come from the ancient creeds and confessions, and it's just nine that are easy to, 
to just sum up our beliefs. And you can go find those on the website. But here at Waypoint, we fully affirm the Apostles' Creed. We fully affirm the Nicene Creed and the two other uh, ancient ecumenical creeds. Even though they're not on our website, everything about our website refers to those teachings of the church and that we, we believe these things. So I'm going to move on. Hopefully I haven't bored you to death with all the details of history, but it's important. But why is the Apostles' Creed still important for us today? And I have four reasons. So bear with me. Let's just, these are good. It's a good thing. First one, it gives us a standard language of God and Trinity. Remember my cloud analogy? I brought that in earlier, not now, just so you, to, not, to get, you, get you thinking. Like, we need language to talk about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The second thing that why it's important for us today to know the Apostles' Creed and to trust it is it beautifully summarizes the progressive revelation of the triune covenant God. And I would say it's, you can look at it as the first part is creation, the second part about Jesus is redemption, and the last part about the Holy Spirit is sanctification. I didn't come up with that. That's from Martin Luther. Three, it unifies us with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, past, present, and future. This statement is, is the core of our faith. No matter where you go in the world, if, no matter where you go in church history, you see this statement as, this is what we believe. And four, it provides a basic foundation of our faith for us, for you personally. What do I believe? So when you get that question from that friend, you don't have to recite. I, what I don't want you to do is someone's like, hey, hey, you know, Jordan, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven. No, no, no. But the, the, the way the Apostles' Creed presents it is one way of us talking about God, the Father, the creator, Jesus Christ, the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit being poured out and our future is secure and we can live in the God the Father, live in God the Son, and live in the Spirit today. So, so it gives us a foundation. So I'm going to quickly just, just look at these, these four statements that I made. The first one, it gives us a standard language of Trinity. And this is complicated, but yet God is knowable. I was talking to Pastor Eric, and he's like, yeah, we need to be able to teach Trinity to our children. Not, maybe not to the two-year-olds, but, you can treat, but by the time you leave Waypoint Kids, you should understand what Trinity is. We need language to help us do that. And the Apostles' Creed and the early creeds set this out for us. The Trinity. This is the biblical teaching on the Trinity. It embodies four essential affirmations. One, there is one, there is one and only one true and living God. Two, there is only one God eternally. This one God eternally exists in three persons, three separate people. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are completely equal in attributes, each with the same divine nature. I'm going to show a diagram. So you see the Father is not the Spirit, but they're all God. This is the best diagram. Diagrams always fall short, but this is the best we got. While each person is fully and completely God, the persons are not identical. Now, this is from the ESV Study Bible. So if you own the ESV Study Bible or another study Bible, you probably think that the editors of the ESV Study Bible came up with this. No, they didn't. The early church fathers, the first 350 years of church history, came up with this. Actually, if you look at the early church record, they're just trying to figure out who is Jesus. Some people thought he was a ghost. 
Some people thought he was like a superhuman. How is God fully, how is Jesus fully God, fully man? And Eric gets to dive into that next week. But how does, how does it, how do we see God in Trinity? Thank, praise God for his faithfulness that these early church fathers dug into the scriptures and came up with this clear, concise teaching so that today in our study Bibles, we can have just four statements and one diagram that you could teach to, to a, a child. Now, this, it's, it's simple, but it's complicated. But the good news is, is God is in relationship. Remember, if you forget everything else about the Trinity, it's good that God is in relationship. And he brings us into that relationship. So the differences among the Father, Son, and Spirit are found in the way they relate to one another. And we praise God for that. And, and they accomplish this through this unified purpose. And... Just study Trinity. If you, if you have questions about it, come and talk to us. We want you to really understand this. Two, this the reason why the Apostles' Creed is important today. It beautifully summarizes the progressive revelation of the triune covenant God. And triune just means three in one. It's a Christian word. Covenant is the God of Abraham, the God that gets the covenant. We're in the, the new covenant. So God makes covenants with history. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So the, the creed summarizes them, and, and, get, um, and we, as the church, get this beautiful summary. And, and in Luther's small catechism, I actually got this at a yard sale. It's pretty cool. But Luther tells the head of the household, here's what it, it has like a section on the Lord's Prayer, kind of gives, gives the head of the household and a way to teach the family. And under the creed, it says, as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household. And then it talks about creation. And it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then the second article is about redemption. It says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And the third article is about sanctification and how the spirit works in us as a church and as individuals. And you see how this was a foundational document going back to the, to the early fathers, to the early church, to the Protestant Reformation. These documents... This statement has been with us as a way to just keep us grounded in our faith. The third thing that it does, the why we need it today, the Apostles' Creed, is it unifies us with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, past, present, and future. I've been in Bible studies with Chinese believers, Indian brothers and sisters, Korean brothers and sisters, Nigerian, French, people from all over the world, and we've studied this. We, we know God in Trinity. We know God as his church. This is a unifying statement. I think the two most, probably the three most unifying things as I've engaged with Christians around the world, this is pretty cool, is, is the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. I've been in many worship services where they recite the Lord's Prayer and everybody in the room recites it in their own language. And now songs. Songs like Amazing Grace, Holy, Holy, Holy. Even some of the Chris Tomlin songs have become... Uh, sung around the world in multiple languages. But this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. This unites us with all our brothers and sisters in the past and today. This is our core belief. We believe in the God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So to summarize what I believe, you know, the three things so far, what I believe, credo, notice the play on words, about the Apostles' Creed and why it's so important for us today is it gives us the standard language of God and Trinity. It beautifully summarizes the progressive revelation of the triune covenant God. 
It unifies us with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, past, present, and future. And finally, it provides a basic foundation of our faith. What do I believe? The creed is a beautiful summary of the Bible, the whole revelation of God, the creator to save his created people. What do I believe about why we're here? Who is the creator? Who is God? How does the creator God relate to his creation? How does the creator God save the creation? What is the creator God's plan for the future of creation? And how do I live in that reality? I would argue the creed helps us through all those things. The creed starts with this proclamation. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we think about God the Father. The Jewish uh, people in, in the Old Testament, there's about six or seven references where it actually refers to God as Father. But at the time of Jesus, when Jesus says, my Father, they know he's talking about the God of Abraham, Yahweh, Adonai. And, but the doctrine of the Father develops as we learn the doctrine of the Son. Old Testament scholar Christopher Seitz says this, Jesus makes no sense without the Father. At the same time, the Apostles' Creed does not seek to isolate the Father so as to ensure his majesty. It points us to the God of Israel and asks us to see his life in the world as shown there, that which comes to expression in complete terms in his Son. So the Creed is tying together the God of the Old Testament to Jesus and, and then showing us about how the church age when the Spirit is poured out. So he's called the Father partly because there's a Son. And that passage we, that Sarah read in Psalms chapter, Psalm chapter 2 this morning points to that. Jesus quotes that. He says, that's about me. There became a time when God the Father, when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the perfect word, takes on human flesh and becomes the Son. This is from the Book of Common Prayer, like I said, which is a 16th century book from the Church of England and under the section about the Apostles' Creed. And it says, what do we learn about God as creator from the relation to Israel? We learn that there is one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. What does this mean? This is one of those catechisms, question and answer. This means that the universe is good, that it is the work of a single loving God who creates, sustains, and directs us. And then it goes on and says, what does this mean about our place in the universe? What does this mean about human life? Maybe we should go back to a little more catechism. Some of us, I would have definitely, I like this kind of stuff. I like question and answer. It makes me just continually be reminded of the truth of the scripture and the truth of who I am in Christ. About God the Father, this is from the Baptist Faith and Message written, revised in the year 2000. It says, God as Father reigns with provincial care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become his children, who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all men. So you see how each part in history, and there's over 40 Baptist confessions of faith and catechisms. I know a lot of modern Baptists don't practice any catechism. A lot of modern non-denominational people don't. But throughout history of all the different strands of Protestantism, 
we've seen the beauty of these question and answers. And these aren't, I, I know that some people are like, oh, I don't like ritual because then I, I don't get to experience God. But if you don't have this foundation and this core belief, sometimes you can't experience God either. So, so there's a balance there. I'm not saying that we have to only do this, but I'm saying that this really can help us to know God. And this statement is really good. And it's, it's every one of these lines is backed by countless scriptures. I'm going to end with this statement from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is uh, written in the 16th century. This is probably 400 and something, 480 years old. Um, and this is a question and answer. And it kind of goes through the in 52 weeks, every Sunday, you cover the Lord's Prayer, you cover the Apostles' Creed, and you cover the Ten Commandments, and you cover baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it's just to help families have some framework. Now, you got to remember, a lot of these people... In, in the ancient world, and even up to a couple hundred years ago, were illiterate. So these were the questions that the church created that they could memorize and, and, and embrace so they could know their faith and know who God is. I love this. This is Heidelberg Catechism, you know, over a 450-year-old document, questions, question and answer 26. The question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? So they would assume that you would say this every week in the worship service. Answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, and notice the little one there. So every one of these statements has multiple Bible passages backing it up. Who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever, adver whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty and desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Amen. What an awesome statement. And you see how all these things are part of our history. Now, I'm only using stuff that came out of Europe. The churches in other parts of the world also have catechisms. I wish I had the time and the, to, to expand upon this and show the beauty of, of, of these catechisms and these creeds and confessions from other churches outside of just the European church. But they're there. But they're all foundational on the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and that formula that we get about Trinity and who God the Father is, who God the Son is, and who God the Holy Spirit is. So now I'm going to end with Scripture. I haven't, normally my sermons are all Scripture. Today I've mostly given history and then shown some documents from the church that are all based on Scripture. But I'm going to end with just these few Scriptures, some, most of them that Sarah read this morning. God is the Father Almighty, the covenant God. In Genesis 17, God comes to Abram for the third time. And he, he proclaims this covenant, and he says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. This is the New Living Translation. This is the first time in the Bible where God calls himself God Almighty. There are many names of God in the Old Testament, and they're at different places for different reasons. But this, he, when he gives his covenant and proclaims his covenant to Abraham, he calls himself El Shaddai. And that's where we get the word for the creed. It says, Serve me faithfully. And live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And this is the covenant that we're saved under. We're a continuation of this covenant. Jesus Christ comes out of this covenant. 
But you see how he's God the Father Almighty. So what the creed is doing is saying the God of Abraham is the God we worship. The creator God. In Hebrews 11.3, and this is also a creedal statement. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what it was visible. See, this is the creator God that the creed announces. He is the creator and the almighty. I love this passage from Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And this, this passage is actually talking, it's a mix between the Father and the Son and how they're, in the Spirit, they're all there in creation. All things. He's the creator and he's the almighty. He's the Father. He is the Father. God is the Father. But he's Jesus' Father. There's a moment where he becomes the Father. And the, I wish I had time. The other two creeds, the Athanasian Creed and the Chancellor Creed, really flesh this stuff out. Like, I, I would say, just as a general Christian, it's, it's, you need to know the Apostles' Creed and be very familiar with the Nicene Creed. When you get more to the seminary level, that's when you can look at the other creeds and stuff. But it's, it's good to, to, to know this stuff. How did we come up with these ideas of Trinity? But it, he is the Father. He's Jesus' Father. But here's the, what I want to end with today. He's our Father. Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We are his children. We are his heir. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the creed. I know I barely scratched the surface, but I hope for many out there that they learn that this ancient document is, is a beautiful gift that you've given us. It's a beautiful gift so that we could just have a clear statement of what we believe and what it means to worship you in Trinity, what it means to worship you as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, as we ponder this this week, God, I pray that you just speak to us and, and may we... Just know that we are heirs, that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, and that we have an older brother, Jesus, who is with us, and we have a, the Spirit who's inside of us and dwells within us and guides us. God, we thank you for Trinity. May you be worshipped and praised always. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.